This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. Three magical words that will change your life. Do what works. That's right. If you've got a system in place, if you've got a way of doing things, keep it. If it works, why would you change it? The Americans have a famous saying. They say, don't fix it if it ain't broke. So do what works. I'll give you an example. I used to be tired all the time. Tired all the time. I stopped eating late, okay? So I would now eat as early as possible in the evening, leaving a gap of at least three hours between dinner and going to sleep. I tried that. I woke up feeling refreshed. I wasn't tired anymore. I haven't changed that protocol. It works. So do it. Do what works. So I hope things are good with you. I hope you're very well. Let me talk to you about change because change is ironically something that we all need to do in order to survive and prosper. And yet every cell in our body resists change. I would imagine that our fear of change is a survival instinct. I suspect it's in our DNA. We want to know where we are and what's around us, who the predators are, where the food can be found, where we're safest. You know, why would you change? If everything's working, you wouldn't change. And of course, that's a big thing of, you know, the very first part of this show is for me to say to you, do what works. Absolutely. But if stuff isn't working, then you've got to change it. Okay, so you only keep the stuff that's delivering for you. All right. Or let me give you a little quick hack before we we, um, sink our teeth into this. Are you somebody that loves caffeine, but then you're affected by it? Does it keep you awake at night? Does it affect your sleep, but then you still love it? Here's a simple trick. You have one coffee in the morning. And then if you want two, three or four, you have decaf. So you go from regular as your first dose just to hit the spot to get that, you know, fulfillment, the the hit, if you like, to get your dose and then go across to decaf for all of your other hot drinks. And that way you still have the feeling that you're having coffee or tea, but it's decaf and it works a treat. I've got to say at the TV network where I work, the decaf tea bags are nearly as popular as regular tea bags. They're flying off the shelves. I think it's a marvellous thing. I do love caffeine. I think that it is a miraculous drug. You see, because this show is drug-free. We are against drugs here on the Mark Dolan way. Here's the problem with drugs. The reason why drugs are bad is because when you have them, they make reality seem worse. And that's a really bad thing, okay? Because... You need to know that reality, that life is magical, so full of opportunity and love and art and creativity and joy and pleasant, wonderful things. And life is amazing. And I think drugs 
make life rubbish. And they, they teach you that the real world is rubbish and that you can't compete with this hyper excitable world of cocaine or whatever other substance you're imbibing, even alcohol. So I don't think drugs are a good idea. I'm against them philosophically. The other reason I don't take drugs is because I've got no doubt that they're amazing. Must be wonderful. And I'm not going to take stuff that's wonderful because Jaffa cakes are wonderful and it was hard enough, hard enough getting off those. Okay. So, um, yeah, don't, honestly, I mean, I don't, I won't lecture you. I'll never lecture you. It's a free country, but I don't think I'd recommend to you drugs. And if you are having drugs, then I would stop them. But there is one drug which I think gives you something, and that is caffeine. And the reason why, I mean, look at smoking. What does smoking do? Nothing. You smoke, nothing happens, right? You're just going to kill yourself. But you have a cup of tea or coffee in the morning and it boots up the day, don't you think? It's a great catalyst. I like the hot drink, the flavour, the taste, but yes, the effect of the caffeine. But if you want that effect, you say go with your first drink caffeinated and go decaf the rest of the day. Um, The other thing I need to tell you about caffeine, you wouldn't believe this, but the half-life of caffeine is between 12 and 16 hours. Now, what that means is that if you have a coffee at four, you might be asleep by 11, but it's still in you and it's still stimulating your brain and it's stopping you going into that deep restorative sleep. So it's very important that you do not imbibe any caffeine. I mean, I ideally after 10 or 11 a.m. go caffeine free. I never have a coffee after lunchtime. So give that a whirl. Early caffeine just one regular caffeinated drink and then go across to decaf. Um, I've got a different option if you want, which is I'll drink a coffee in the morning and then once it's kicked in, I'll have a glass of water. And what that does is it stops that coffee from then making me jittery. It dilutes it. In Austria, which is a beautiful country, when you go to a cafe house, they bring you coffee and they bring you a little glass of water as well. And the idea is you have the coffee and then you have the water. And that's like very civilized, isn't it? Well done, the Austrians. So it's a beautiful thing. But I was saying about change. So if it works, you stick with it. But the things that are not working, you must change. You know that famous line from, I think it was Albert Einstein, that the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Except we all do, don't we? We just go through our lives making the same mistakes. And the reason why is because we have not changed. And the reason we haven't changed is because we're built not to. And therefore, if you want to be this show, I mean, it could have a different name, right? This show could be called The 5%. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that all of the advice that I share with you puts you in the top 5% of humanity. Okay. And this will put you in the top 5%, which is to be somebody that adopts change. You'll know you've got friends, you've got colleagues, right, who have relationship problems or they've got issues at work or they've got this or they've got that. And you see them 10 years later and they're going through all the same rubbish. Nothing's changed. They haven't changed. And they've lost a decade and they're still having the bad relationships. They've still got the issues at work. And they just weren't honest with themselves and they decided to stay in the comfort zone of failure. They actually were more comfortable underperforming and suffering the consequences of underperforming rather than risk the danger and the fear and the terror of changing. 
But the magic is that you are the author of your own script. You're the director of your own movie. You run the show. You're the boss, right? This is not a democracy. This is a wonderful, unelected dictatorship. And you're in charge. You are Fidel Castro. And your soul and your future and your whole existence is Cuba. It's yours. It's yours for the taking. And I have developed a really enthusiastic appetite for change. But again, only the things that aren't working. And it's just very, very refreshing. So if you've got a situation where you're in a relationship and your partner is just frustrated with you because you're always late for stuff or let's say you're messy. OK, you're just messy and like you've got a great relationship, but your partner is so irritated because you're messy. Do you know what you can do? You can just not be messy. It is possible to just not be messy anymore. You just make a decision. I'm not going to be messy. And you just go for it. You become fastidiously tidy. You can do it like that. And I'm going to refer you to last week's test about if something's possible. If I paid you a million pounds to go from being messy to tidy, and I wanted you to basically to be tidy for like one month. And at the end of that month, you're going to get a million pounds, right? You're messy, but you get paid a million if you're tidy for a month. Let's say there are hidden cameras everywhere at home. And if it can be proved that you were tidy for a whole month, you get a million pounds. Would you be tidy? Yes, you would. So please do not say that you can't change and that you cannot fix that thing. Lateness, uh, lazy at work, not making an effort, whatever, not paying people compliments, not being positive, anything, all fixable by you making a decision. OK, in fact, I mean, you know, go through all the issues you've got. And see how you're going to change them and ask yourself the million, it's that million dollar test, right? which is if you're a million pounds, if I was given a million pounds, could I, could I? So, for example, I am six foot five with fair hair and blue eyes with glasses. So if I wanted to change and become four foot two with brown eyes and 2020 vision, jet black hair, right? That's not possible. That is not change that can be achieved. Um, can I be well coordinated and good at things like tennis? No, that's not, you know, I mean, OK, I could work on it, but it's not it's not really it's not a natural gift I have. I'm not wildly coordinated. I'm not in, in, into those kind of skillful sports and stuff like that. So. With that in mind. Um, you're just going to go through the stuff that that you can change and. You know, you can even enlist help. So let's say there are, there are issues at work where you're consistently underperforming. Reach out to a colleague and go, look, this is the issue. What's your advice? How can I how can I fix this and be different? You can wake up tomorrow and just be the opposite of who you were today. You can just do that. And then what's amazing is if you do that for three or four weeks, it becomes a habit. OK, I mean, biting your nails. I've, I've, I've been I've, I've mentioned in the previous episode a great hack for for um fixing nail biting, which is to get false nails put on. And it does really work. But um, that cured me. But then I just fell off the wagon a while ago and I was biting my nails again. And then I just thought, no, just you, you know, don't be a nail biter, be someone that doesn't bite their nails and then bang away you go. So change, change, change. Think of all the different ways in your life that you can evolve. And just imagine, don't you think that somebody that changes, 
that has change built into their daily routine, that they're always evolving, that's going to be a more interesting person, isn't it? Rather than somebody, let's imagine there's Dave, who you went to uni with, and you meet Dave 20 years later, and he is the same. That's rubbish, isn't it? No, you want Dave to have evolved. Look at great artists. Look at Madonna, how she's reinvented herself every few years. Always interesting, always developing. A rolling stone gathers no moss. So allow yourself to be Madonna with different vibes. You know, you can change the way you dress. You're like, oh, I've, I'm really, you know, I've been really casual. I mean, that, that's one, right? You, you could say that um, you're not being taken seriously at work. So what you do is you decide I'm going to get to work an hour early every day. I'll be in before everyone else. And I'm going to be really smartly dressed. Maybe it's a guy, right? And I'm going to wear a suit. I normally wear jeans. I'll wear a suit. That's, that's a change, isn't it? You'll be treated differently. You'll be perceived differently. You'll feel different. And that is a change. Maybe you dye your hair blonde or black or whatever it is, but just mix it up a little bit and see where it takes you. But I would argue that change should be a daily part of your life, constant evolution. Um, the nice thing is that problems and mistakes and barriers and setbacks, that forces change on you. And again, that's something to welcome, which is a big, a big theory, a big part of this podcast is, is welcoming life's challenges rather than resisting them and owning them. Um, this is another really important thing, which is, I don't know if you can see, but I have a spot just here. Now, if you're listening on the radio, or the rest of the radio, um, if you're listening on the podcast, I've got a little red spot here. I don't think it's very faint. It's it cleared up big time, luckily just before this recording. And this spot is there. And I was conscious about doing, recording the podcast with having this ugly spot. But then I realized if I don't mention it, you probably won't notice. Okay, so I've proved something there, which is by drawing attention to this spot, I've made an issue of it. And now you're aware of the spot and you're seeing the spot. So in life, if you've got something that you're a bit embarrassed about, there's something which is a negative for you. Don't flag it up. Don't advertise it. Don't mention it because people might not notice because everyone's in their own bubble. Everyone's obsessed with themselves. They don't care about you. But if you draw attention to yourself. So I used to be a radio producer and I was horrified by the number of people. I, I used to be what's called a phone op or call screener. So my job at the radio station was a phone in radio station. Callers would call in and they wanted to get on air and speak to the presenter. And I was the first um, the first point of contact. And I'd say, hi, this is Talk Radio. My name's Mark. How can I help you? And they'd say, hello, I'm called Bob and I want to talk about the prison system. We need to build more prisons, whatever it is. Right. So I say, Bob, thank you for your comments. Hold the line and we'll put you on air in just a moment. And then I would write Bob's information onto the screen. The presenter could see it. And then the presenter goes, it's 10 past three. It's time now to get to your calls. We're talking about prisons. Should we build more? And this is Bob in Surrey. Hey, Bob, how are you? And do you know what so often callers would do? Because obviously they're not professionals, fair enough. But Bob would say, oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, just so you know, I'm really nervous. Don't don't say you're nervous. When you're about to do a speech, whoopsie, sorry. When you're about to do a speech or address um, colleagues at work or something like that, don't say you're nervous. Because weirdly, although you might feel it, 
you don't look it really, unless you're like shaking like a leaf. But don't flag these things up. So with my spot, right, really, if I was to follow my own advice, I wouldn't mention the spot. I don't think you'd notice. But I've drawn your attention to it. So, you know, life is about, unfortunately, I've got to tell you that there are so many people out there that are not very talented. They're not very good but they are self-confident and they talk a good game. They're good at BS. They're selling themselves. And those people who are just pretenders, okay, they're busking it. They do well and they're getting your opportunities. Why should they get the job offer, the girlfriend, that wonderful, amazing opportunity, that lifestyle, whatever it is, why should they achieve that goal and you not, given the fact that you are the right person to be doing those things. Well, just steal from them. You see what they don't have, these inadequate people, all they've got is the ability to talk, talk themselves up. Okay. There's nothing behind the self-confidence. It's just two dimensional. So why don't you take the fact that you are the real deal and that you're really good and you bring huge value and then adopt some of their BS as well and have both. Okay. And therefore say there's too many good people that apologize for themselves and they talk themselves down friend of mine is a film director and he learned this the hard way in Hollywood. He's very talented and he would have meetings with top Hollywood producers and he would make self-deprecating, very British comments about, oh, well, you know, I'm a bit rubbish at this or I'm a bit rubbish at that. And, and rather than laughing and thinking, oh, well, he's just being self-deprecating, their response was, oh, OK, you're rubbish at this and rubbish at that. We won't, we won't ask you to do those things then. It's like it doesn't work for five minutes in in Hollywood it's got to be just, I am the greatest thing you've ever witnessed. There's never been a better, more talented human being in this building than the moment I arrived here today. In fact, if you want, you're welcome to fall to your knees and bow before me and just thank me for my presence. Okay. Form an orderly queue. You've just got to. And now you think for any of my British listeners, you'll think that is so un-British and it's true, but you don't have to go crazy with it. But you sell yourself, you're positive about yourself and you do not draw attention to your weaknesses because we've all got weaknesses. Just don't tell people about it. Look at the game of poker. The whole of the game of poker is hiding information from your opponents. Okay, the poker face. I want you to spend your whole life with a poker face. All right. And you go into a work meeting and you're feeling a little unprepared. Don't say I'm unprepared. Don't say apologies in advance. Um, I got this information very late. It's been cobbled together. No, you just go in. You go, hi, thanks. Thanks for being here. I've got a lot of stuff for us to get through. Take a listen. Let's go. And let them let them think that the material is a bit weak and a bit thin. Let them take you up on it. And at that point, you're going to own it and you go, "Okay, well, thank you for your feedback. If if that wasn't good, we're going to look at it. We'll work on it. Thank you. Let me write that down. I hear you. But. Um, it's amazing how many good people advertise their weaknesses and how many of the idiots disguise them brilliantly. So please be the latter and don't reveal your hand one bit. By the way, I just had a thought there about writing things down. When I mentioned that if the meeting didn't go well and somebody said, um, this is a bit rubbish, Mark. Um, A really good tip, whether it's your phone or your laptop or a notepad, it doesn't matter. But if somebody is giving you feedback, which is important, it's very necessary for you to be seen 
to write it down. Okay, so let's imagine the boss says to you, that company report you did, we need more figures from Asia. Okay, it was a good report, but the weakness was uh, I was looking for numbers from Japan, India, um, Taiwan, Hong Kong. I need the I need Asia. I need East Asia. I need those figures. Rather than just nod and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. If you want to demonstrate to your boss that you're serious and that you're hearing them, you say, uh, forgive me, do you mind if I write this down? Okay, it's really deliberate. You get your phone out. The notes on your phone is a great option, right? Most phones, all phones ship with notes software or you've got a pad. But you just say, boss, can I just write this down? And then can you just tell me, where you think it's so Japan, Taiwan, Hong Kong, India. The boss sees you writing it down. Now, what that tells the boss is that you're you're not just listening. You're very proactively, aggressively listening. You're it's active listening. It's not uh huh uh huh. And honestly, because I can tell you, I've said so many things to colleagues in the past, and they go uh huh uh huh, and nothing changes, and the same mistakes rear their ugly head over and over again. If I get somebody that writes it down. Right, right. Tell me, tell me exactly, and I'm going to write it down so I don't forget. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to read these notes. So the messaging is just sensational. It's absolutely brilliant. Okay, your boss is just going to be so happy. Isn't it? Oh, I'm giving this feedback, and he's insisted on writing it down. He's asked me to go through it, blow by blow. Um, and then the other advantage is that by writing it down, you will remember what the boss said, and you can address those issues. So it, it is practical to have it written down. But so half of me loves the practicality of getting that feedback down. But secondly, it looks great. Okay, it just looks great. And you can do that in a relationship with your partner. And you can have a file on your phone, which is ways to be better or things not to do. Okay. And if your partner says, um, I don't like you putting a wet towel on the bed, rather than go, aha, uh -huh, say, that's going on my list of things not to do. And you just, you, you see, your partner sees you get the phone out and you're right. Do not put on the bed. And I think, by the way, it's only fair for both you and the partner to have lists of things not to do. It shouldn't be a one way track. I don't like this idea in relationships when one person is good and the other one isn't. That is non-existent. OK, both sides have to change and improve and constantly. But, you know, this thing I was saying earlier about the importance of change every day that change is built in. But it's, it's only ever focused on the things that are not good, that are not working. You change those. You keep the good out with the old in with the new. Um, writing it down is a really good way of crystallizing and remembering the things that you need to change. And it's gorgeous. So, yeah, so do that. And I, and I promise you the number of meetings I've been to, especially recently, where maybe there's a few people talking and they're all important senior people with an important message. And I just, I'll whip my phone out. Do you mind if I, or I've got the notepad. Do you mind if I just write some of this down? Do any of them mind writing down their words of wisdom? They're going to be buzzing from that. Did you see, did you see Sandra in the meeting? She wrote it all down. She didn't like nod and go, yeah, yeah, I got this. It's also humble, by the way. It's humble and humble is Damn good. You still be confident whilst being humble. Uh, let's talk about a few other bits and pieces. So much to get through. Um, oh, I like this from Michael J. Fox, who is a wonderful actor, a humanitarian, 
a great artist and suffers from Parkinson's disease very severely. And you will know what a horrible disease that is. And he cannot be still for a moment. And his, uh, his life is very curtailed. But I've actually quoted him in the past on this show with his wonderful comment that the key to happiness is minimum expectation, maximum acceptance, right? That's brilliant. I'm, I'm happy to repeat that every podcast. But I recently watched an interview with him and he talked about being grateful. And he said that if you can be grateful, optimism is sustainable. Okay, so he argued that if you are able to be grateful, then that will make you optimistic. It will increase your happiness. It will improve your mental health, being grateful. And he kind of laughed self-deprecatingly and he said, look at me, it's probably quite hard for me to be grateful, but I am grateful. There are things I am grateful for. And that helps him to be optimistic and to be positive. Now, he's at the sharp end, this guy. We all have problems, but it's so easy to sometimes just focus on the negativity and feel owned by the problems in our life. And if you were to focus on what I'm grateful for, okay, and if I was just to think now that I've got eyesight, I'm wearing glasses and then I can see with my spectacles, I can see the trees through the window I'm currently broadcasting at. I can see these trees and I can see the wind rustling on the leaves of the tree the wind is just sort of kissing the leaves of the tree to my left it's a beautiful gorgeous luminous green tree with bright green leaves i'm not really a poet am i thank god i don't write pop lyrics but anyway um that's a great thing i can look at the i can look at the sky and look at the clouds and that's a beautiful that's a blessing isn't it i'm grateful for my ears so that I can listen to some beautiful music, the most beautiful music, which changes my mood. And I'm grateful for my health. And I'm grateful that I can have the power of my legs to walk and run and skip and jump and dance. And my fingers work and I can write and I can prepare food. And I'm grateful for food and I'm grateful for London town where I live in this great country and our beautiful world. And I'm grateful for this and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for Shakespeare and the Beatles. And I'm grateful for steak. A lot of things I'm grateful for. What's your favorite steak? What cut of steak do you like? I like the sirloin. I think the sirloin is the best, by the way. I find the ribeye is it's tender, but too fatty. I don't know why it's so fashionable these days. Uh, the fillet is good, but it's very expensive. The mignon, as the Americans call it. And then the rump. I'm sorry, I'm finding the rump too tough. I have to bash the rump, which sounds like a euphemism. But um, gratefulness. So if you can every day, and you could write this down as well, you could have a little file on your phone. So remember, you've got the file of things not to do, which annoy your partner. Then you've got another file, which is notes from the boss. And another file could be reasons to be grateful. And I promise you, unless you're actually dead, there is a reason. There is something to be grateful for. There really is. And it will change your mindset. And it's just 
It's significant. It's it's a really important and significant thing and it makes you more positive. And of course, the funny then thing is that it's self-perpetuating because when you enter that more positive state, good things happen to you because... When people are negative, you know, they send out negative vibes. They don't realize that negativity is not invisible. It is it is visible. People pick up on it and they'll be negative back to you. Um, I can tell you that, for example, you know, I think I wouldn't glamorize it, right? I think everybody, I think, I think depression is a human thing. And I, I get depressed sometimes. I get sad, I get down. And do you know what I do? I, I become more jolly when I'm depressed. So there will possibly be times when everything is just wrong with the world and I'm walking down the street and it's raining and it's grey and life is not where I want it to be and it's like bad, bad, bad. If I go into a shop to buy something such as a pint of milk, I go the other way. I'm like really overly jolly and I'll be like, hello, how are you today? And sometimes people say to me, oh, you're so happy. And they don't know that I'm actually really depressed today and that this is the opposite of how I feel. But I just find that it lifts me a little bit and I find that it almost breaks the spell slightly because then what happens is I'm like, well, hello, how are you? Thank you for my milk. Do you name know the name of the cow or whatever it is, right? Top level banter. And then they pick up on this jolliness. You know, some, and I'll say, oh, what's your name? How's your day going? I, I, these are things I do when I'm feeling down is I just kind of go the other way. I overcorrect with positive energy. I go, how's your day going? You having a good time? Um, and then they'll say something back. People love positivity. They love it. It's infectious. And then they say something positive to you like, oh, by the way, I love your raincoat. It really suits you. Marvellous. Where'd you get it? And you're like this. Oh, well, thank you. I got it from dot, dot, dot. You leave the shop, you've got a pint of milk, you've interacted with someone, you've got out of your bubble, they've complimented your raincoats. That's a net benefit. It's a positive, isn't it? You come out and that's all because you felt depressed and you went into a shop and you're like, hello, how are you? With a big smile and you went the other way. Amazing. Um, I don't really have the full background to that advice because I don't want you, you know, if you're suicidal, I don't want you going around pretending that everything's fine because that in itself is a bit dysfunctional. But just for that kind of low level the blues. When you've got the blues, try that. Try to overcorrect with abundantly positive vibes and send those out to other people. Just smile at people and just like be overly nice. And I think you'll find it gets you out of it, steers you out of it. It's it's nice. Um, if, by the way, you are suffering genuine mental health issues, you must reach out because there is always help out there. You've got Samaritans, you've got websites. There's so much resource. You've got the, uh, you've got your doctor never suffer in silence. Okay. And if you are feeling sad, it doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong or that you're failing. You just are sad because that happens. I find that human emotions are a bit like the weather and you have sunny days and you have cloudy days, you have rain, you have snow, you have hail, you have heat waves. You get it all. That's the human soul. Um, you don't have to fight those seasons. They come you know, so if you're having a grey day, you're having a grey day. And I think the danger of the modern world is that you're going to like, I'm having a grey day. Whose fault is this? I'm a loser. I need to medicate now. I need to make this go away. It's like, no, unless you're like genuinely not well, if you're having a grey day, have a grey day and just let it, let it pass through you. Let, let just feel it, walk through it. Let it just a bit like an influenza devour your body. 
you just accept it and you say, be jolly, go buy some milk, be, be friendly and be grateful, write down your grateful stuff. And I think you'll find it will just, it will go. And you wake up the next day, you're like, I feel good now. And it's okay to have the sort of seasonal moods every day. It can happen within a day as well. I can be just sort of really grumpy and then for some reason I can overhear two people on the bus say something and makes me laugh and then bang, um, all is good with the world. Now let's power through a few other bits before we go because it is very, very important that I equip you with a voluminous amount of wise advice. Shall we go for some foodie things? Let's do that. I believe in low carbohydrate. If you're going to change your diets, then consult your doctor. If you go low carb and don't feel well, consult your doctor straight away. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. But I this this podcast is, in my opinion, I mean, you would hope I would have a view on what this podcast is, given that it's not exactly a cast of thousands involved. I would humbly suggest that this is a low carb podcast. Okay. This podcast, remember, this is a drug-free podcast, but it's also low carb. Um, And I'm going to just, every so often, I will just, for those new to the show, I will say that we've got an obesity crisis and it's all because of processed carbohydrates. Because what carbohydrates do, whether it's pizza, pasta, sugar, biscuits, cakes, ice cream, beer, starchy carbohydrates, potatoes, bread, you name it, all that stuff, that makes the insulin go up. And when insulin is raised, you store fat in the body. When insulin is low, which is low carb, when you're just having meat and eggs and fish and just real food, the insulin comes down. And when insulin is low, your fat cells open, you burn fat for energy and you become thin. So I went low carb and lost three stone. I love it. I'm a huge fan. Anyway, so this shows low carb. Um, If you have embarked upon your low carbohydrate journey, and you find that you're getting a bit hungry, can I offer you the simplest hack, which is to eat some fat. Okay, sounds disgusting, but it works. Remember, do what works. So I felt much better when I stopped eating dinner late. So if I can, I'll have dinner now at 6.30, 6, 6.30, 7 at the very latest, go to bed at 11 and a tiny bit hungry. Okay, and that's good. The the stomach should be almost empty because when you sleep, you're supposed to be resting. You're not supposed to be digesting food. And by the way, when your metabolism slows down and when you go to sleep, if there's a big meal in there, do you know what happens? It rots. It digests slowly because at the end of the day, your digestion is slower and it just goes toxic in your tummy. Yuck. So your tummy should be almost empty when you go to sleep. But some people struggle with that because I can't sleep if I'm hungry and I get that. So do you know what you do? You just have some fat. So what I would do, for example, is have one or two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, right? Just drink it. By the way, it tastes better with a bit of salt on it. Okay, so olive oil, extra virgin olive oil with some salt and then just one or two tablespoons. That is pure fat, right? It's a lot of rich, it's energy. But the great thing about fat, the insulin response from fat is zero. So you're you're already, your insulin's low because it's three hours since you ate which means you're going to start burning fat on your body. Those fat cells are going to open. Okay, your body's going to literally eat itself. And um, if you eat the fat, then you get some energy, which stops you being hungry. You're satiated, but your insulin is still low. It does not touch insulin. 
fat does not cause insulin to go up. The insulin response of fat is zero. Isn't that amazing? So that's really, really good. And the great advantage then is you don't get the spike. Once you have that fat, you won't be hungry for hours. And that's when you just go to sleep, right? If you don't like olive oil, you can do it with a knob of butter. Okay, just eat some butter. Again, just a teaspoon of butter, just a little bit of extra salt on the top. Jobs are good. And we're going to do a special episode on salt, by the way, very soon. Is it good for you? Is it not good for you? I have the verdict. You can also use coconut oil. And but any any natural fat like that is amazing and very satiating. And that will really set you up for a good night's sleep. So do try it. And same thing if you wake up in the night and you're hungry, just have have a, have a bit of olive oil. Some There's an Italian guy I know who has a shot of olive oil before he goes to bed every night, each to their own. Um, oh, blimey. I think we've got to wrap this up, folks. Um, what else have we got? I do. I feel like I want to leave you with something. All right. Really quick. Product of the day. Passata. Um, this is a wonderful product from Mr. Organic, but lots of brands out there. Passata is basically filtered tomatoes and it's really good for any bolognese or meatball dish. I'm not that keen on the sort of chopped tomato solution for a bolognese sauce or a meatball sauce. Passata is nice because it's basically sort of like a really thick tomato juice. It's like a kind of tomato puree. And when you do, so really simple, get some meatballs and then fry them in garlic and olive oil. Add the passata, simmer for a few minutes and serve. And that's that lovely, gorgeous finish really nice on the palate. Passata is delicious. And that is today's product of the week. Um, It's been really wonderful to have your company. I can't wait to see you and to chat to you next time and have a great week. 